I uh, have one additional prayer request as you go through the day. Uh, Gospel Haven is having an ordination this weekend. I was there on Friday evening, and they have uh, David and Charity Troyer and Ray and Eva Miller will be sharing the lot this evening. So uh, pray for them as they go through this evening. Uh, If you're interested, it's at 6 p.m. tonight. Please turn your copies of the scriptures to Acts chapter 2. We have, uh, you'll have this memorized if we keep doing this, preaching from Acts 2. I have absolutely, let me just say, sometimes when you preach through a series or something, you, you kind of end up saying, okay, I'm glad we're done. Um, and, you know, it was, it, we needed to do this, but I'm glad we're done. This one, I keep, I keep getting stuck here. Uh, and, and again, we're not called to pattern our church after the Acts church, but I think they're, or, or live like they did, but we, we're supposed to live in today's world using the principles that this teaches us. And as I've been studying this, one of the things that struck me, and oh, I also need to do this, and reminder to do this. Uh, one of the things that struck me is, is how practical these things are. They're very practical. They're at the heart of what it means to be, walk with Jesus to be a Christian. Now, I'm curious. Uh, we'll do something a little different. Uh, by the way, the gospel reading for this coming week is Luke. I'm curious. I'd like a little feedback. Anybody, uh, and, and by the way, if you, if you don't make it through the week, if you, if you don't, haven't finished Mark, don't push off Luke. Just start with Luke. And uh, there is no condemnation, nothing. Get as much out of it as you can. But I'm curious, is, is there any feedback from any of you about how the reading has been? Yeah. Okay. Mhm. Yeah. Mhm. That's good. Yeah. This week in my reading of Mark, I got I was struck by the widow who dropped in the two coins. Uh, you know, you read that, and it, suddenly you see it in context. And it's like, whoa. Anyone else? Thank you, Joanna. So details kind of jump out. Anyone else? Yeah. 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 Jesus helped me. Mm-hmm. 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 I, yeah, and, and I, I noticed that when I read Matthew and then Mark, I felt the difference there, but the continuity. There's a common thread, but a different way of saying it. That's what I, between the two. Anyone else? Well, there are plenty of these journaling papers up here and some more of the schedules. Uh, if you're interested, help yourself. So, so then, 
then we talked about fellowship. And I, I really like what uh, some of the things I, I thought about fellowship over the last... One of the things I miss is our fellowship meals. Do you? I kind of do. And it, it's... Uh, the kids are all nodding yes. Uh, and and it, one of the reasons is that there's something that happens when you break bread, when you eat together, that does, you sit down, you relax, and you're just more yourself. And I'm, I'm not saying we should... I'm not saying when to start or what to start. I'm just saying that there's practical ways we can do that. Prayer. And we cover prayer. Now, I, I just want to return... Uh, I'm going to tell you a little story, and then we'll see, we'll see where we're at. Um, there was a small group of believers in the late, early 1700s who were, had been persecuted. They were Moravians. They had followed Jan Hus, John, or Jan Hus, as you see it spelled. He was a Czech reformer. But in the 1700s, this group of Moravians, they were pietists, so they, they were very concerned about um, an engaging gospel. So, so these pietists um, had been persecuted, and they, they finally found freedom living in a little village called Hernhut, H-E-R-N-N-H-U-T, under a, a nobleman who gave them safety there. And the, when they settled down and had security and safety, they began to fight amongst themselves. And, and when that happened, they got a visiting preacher in, and the preacher, Count Zinzendorf, I'm simplifying the story maybe a little bit. He said, well, you need to pray. So he devised, he asked for 24 volunteers, men and women, uh, and, and somebody prayed every hour for the village, for the church. Every hour they pray, somebody was praying. So they call it a prayer wheel. You know, 12 o'clock, midnight, Benson wakes up and prays. At uh, 1 o'clock, Joe uh, sets his alarm and prays. At, uh, at 2 o'clock... Uh, Regina sets her alarm and prays. You know, all, all through the 24-hour cycle. And nothing changed much. Except one of the men began to say, said, this is a direct quote, we learned how to love one another. We learned how to love one another. As they prayed. I'm not saying anything about PCF by saying that. But as they prayed, they learned how to love one another. And from that village came more missionaries than any other place in Europe. They impacted the Wesley brothers. And listen to this. They prayed, that prayer wheel kept going for 100 plus years. Somebody in that village was praying all the time. They sent more than 300 missionaries from that one village of 300 people. Over the next 65 years, they impacted the world. They're the first missionaries to send, they're the first people to send missionaries to African American slaves. They're the, they, they, and as they're traveling to America, because of their d- dynamic love for one another, they, they're, in a, they're in a storm, the mast of the ship breaks off, everybody's in a panic, and Wesley goes, John Wesley's traveling to America, goes up on deck and finds a group of Moravians up there calmly praying. And he is so impacted by that that he decides to. To become a preacher, and the Wesley movement began. And it's just—it's amazing, and it all happened through the simple act of praying together with a common goal. As I was thinking about that this week, I, I also was reminded that um, there is no New Testament book that references prayer more than the Book of Acts, and it's mostly corporate prayer. 
Prayer is meant to be personally prayed, but it's meant to be corporately practiced as well. In fact, well, yeah, let's, let's turn. Before we read Acts 2.42, let's go, turn your bio, uh, copies of Scripture to uh, Acts 6. And we'll, I just want to look at one verse. Okay, so what's happening here in Acts 6 is there's been so many people added to their numbers that uh, the, the disciples were, were uh, having trouble meeting everyone's needs, and they had daily distribution. And, uh, and then they said, we need some help doing this. And, and this was uh, convicting to me because it says in verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So the disciples are saying, let's, let's choose some people to take care of waiting on the table so we can devote ourselves to prayer and the, and, and the Word, the reading of the Word. And in Greek, that is corporate. So, so the disciples are saying, we need time to lead in corporate prayer. It's not them individually praying uh, in their closet. It's, it's corporate prayer. And I was thinking about that, and I okay, so if one of the calls of a pastor is to lead his congregation in corporate praying, and we only spend about five minutes per service praying, I've fallen at my job. So I'm trying to figure out a way to do this and make it practical. So I'd like 24 volunteers. No, just, uh, you know, we could do that. I, in fact, I think we sometime we should try it for a week where people actually volunteer to wake up during the night and spend a little bit of time praying. And so there's somebody praying all the time. I have a couple ideas. Let me run these by you. I, I, think, I think we need to pray. And I think, I think what we should start doing is just simply praying together for us. That, our, that the gospel would expand through providence. Simply that. That God speaks to us and that the gospel would expand through providence. So I, I'm going to make a couple suggestions. And you, this is voluntary. Uh, there is no forcedness to this. But um, I, I'm going to suggest three time periods uh, that, that we pray together. So maybe some of you want to pray at a certain time. Uh, another is at a different time of day. Maybe we can kind of start a cycle here. Um, let's start here. Uh, how many of you go to bed before 9 o'clock on a regular basis? Children do? Good. Okay, so they need to pray at a different time. By the way, this is a, one of the interesting things is that children's prayers are often really powerful because they're real. So I'm going to suggest, uh, um, well, I'll, make one for, I'll make the first suggestion, 1.59 in the afternoon. Chris and I had the same idea. We talked about this. Our, our church is located on County Road, Township Road 159. 159 in the afternoon. Who could find uh, two to three minutes to pray there on a regular basis this coming week? Raise your hands. Raise them high. You'll have some other opportunities. Okay, take your phones out. Take your phones out. Those of you who volunteered there. Take your phones out, and uh, uh, you can either set it in your calendar. If you don't know how to do it, I'll, I'll walk you. If, if, if I, how many of you have iPhones? Okay, some of you. So I'll, I'll use the iPhone. I'm using Alarm. Okay, so I'm going to set my alarm. I'll go to Alarm, set Alarm, uh, hit the plus button. I'm going to go to 159. Let make, make sure you set it for um, p.m., well, some of you should maybe set it for a.m., but anyway. 1.59 p.m. And hit uh, down at, below that, there's a place for repeat. And every Sunday, every Monday, every Tuesday, every Wednesday, just check those. And back and save. 
159. This afternoon it'll go off. Okay? And then I would like to have, uh, how many of you would, uh, uh, 3.30 in the afternoon work better? Yeah, 3.30, good. A couple of you at 3.30. So set your alarms at 3.30. Okay? So uh, uh, the backdoor code, by the way, if you don't know, is 3308, because that's the area code here. 330. 159, 330. And then I, I chose another number, a little arbitrary, because I wanted uh, later in the day, for those of you who pray a little later in the day, how about uh, 8.59 p.m.? 8.59 p.m.? Yeah, good. A couple of you. Yeah, 8.59 p.m. Set your alarms at 8.59. And then we have to have the morning people. How about uh, uh, 6.20 in the morning? Who would like to pray at 6.20 in the morning? Yeah, raise them high. Yeah. We have a couple of people praying at 6.20. Mark your calendar for 6.20. And, and it doesn't have to be long, flowery, or anything like that. All you do is say, God, I pray for myself. I pray for Providence. I pray for my brothers and sisters at Providence. And I pray that the gospel would be furthered through Providence. So let's try that for a week. And we'll report back next week and see what happens. And, and then if there are distinct needs in the church during this week, don't be afraid to post them, if you feel comfortable, on the PCF page. And then look at that, and as you see those, pray for those. I, I, okay, so we, 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 can, we can do that. Uh, we can have prayer meeting on a regular basis. But let's start there. Let's just simply start there and take three to five minutes during that time and just pray. See if the, and ask Jesus particularly that the power of the gospel would be unleashed through us. Acts 2, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. As I was reading through this, it it struck me that we've covered fellowship, uh, the apostle stock uh, teachings, prayer, and I, let's just talk, take a minute this morning and talk about generosity and giving. Because I think that they're, they're the four pieces to what make uh, our hearts come together in, in Jesus. Now, um, if you notice something, uh, and let's just look at the passage. If you notice something, it says they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day they attended the temple together, breaking bread in home, their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. It sounds like at that point they, they had a pool of money where people could give, and there, were, there was probably some very poor people and some, some wealthier people. There were obviously wealthier people because of what happens a little later in Acts. And, and uh, they, were, they were putting that money together, and then they were... They were they were using some of that money to buy food for their, their meals. And they were very glad. They received their food with glad and generous hearts because they understood that the food was a gift from the body. 
I was thinking about that and thinking about giving. And, and again, it, it was very voluntary. There was never anything forceful about giving. I, I was reading something about giving this week, and it, it said this. When we give, we experience a split second of loss. At a speed faster than light, we calculate the cost and the benefits of giving, and if the later outweighs, we give. Uh, and, and every so often we hear of somebody who, who gives unselfishly, and it kind of catches us off balance a little bit. So why is giving important? I, I think there's three reasons that the New Testament gives for giving. I'm talking about giving much more than money, but let's make it practical, like we did prayer and Bible reading. Let's talk about money. And by the way, uh, when, I was, when I taught I, at, at SMBI, I discovered something, that if you want to get a reaction out of people, you talk about um, how fast they drive and uh, how they uh, discipline their children and how they use their money and, and, and what kind of music they listen to at that era anyway. And when you talk about any one of those four things, you just have this woo of, of response. And I, I thought, what's common about all those? And what's common about all those is it's, there is something common. And it, 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 many of those things, how we worship, how we give, how we express ourselves to those who are less than us, our children, and, and how we act out there come, is an expression of our heart. It, it reveals something about our hearts. And... Uh, I was thinking about all of this and thinking about giving. So, so I think that there are three main reasons in the New Testament that we should give. Um, first of all, to support the spread of the gospel. Uh, let's not lose sight of the fact that it takes means to spread the gospel. It, it does. And, and, and therefore, uh, God calls His people who have to give so that the gospel can spread. Uh, we, we prayed for uh, Linda and Galen and Jenny, and she, you're going to Africa, Joanne's going to Africa. That takes financial means. And, and it, if, if they would rely on their own financial means, they couldn't be doing what they're doing. And therefore, when we give, it, it, it supports the spread of the gospel. The second reason that we are called to give in the New Testament is to create a more level playing field. This is one that's hard for us to kind of take a little bit. It's hard for us to swallow this one. We don't want a level playing field. We want more than what they have. But according to Scripture, it is quite apparent that God wants more equality. Now some people have argued that this is what the uh, church here in Acts did is communism where they had everything in common. It's where Karl Marx got the term communism. Now, the Karl Marx kind of communism that we know in this world is built on taking money by force from people or taking means by force from people to level the playing field. What God is calling His people to do is for us to generously give to level the playing field so that we're equal. And we really don't like to hear that. We really do not like to hear that. And it kind of leads to the third reason for giving. The third reason that the Bible commands us to give 
is because we were given to. We were given to. God, in His wonder and His means, gave the thing that was most precious to Him. His Son. And when you stop and think, if I would ask any one of you parents, would you give up your house for your child? You would, I, I think unequivocally you would say, yes, you have my house. God had all this wonder and all this magnificence of heaven and the earth because he is the creator and he gave the thing that was most precious to him. And when we give, we're only reflecting. When we give financially, we're reflecting how much, that we understand that we were given to in measures that we could never surpass. So that's why in the Old Testament, the, the, the people of Israel were called to bring a tithe. And, well, they actually gave much more than a tithe. They gave a large percentage. They gave a, a fairly large percentage of their income to the temple. And, and we often say in the New Testament world that we're not bound by the tithe anymore. Well, that's true. Jesus never says, thou shalt tithe. I think, though, that Jesus assumes that his followers will give uh, a lot. And so think about a tithe. I, by the way, I did a, little bit of a, I did a little bit of checking. Christians today are giving about 2.5% of their income. So about 2.5% of their income is what Christians are giving today. Interestingly enough, during the Great Depression, 1930s, Christians were giving 3.5% of their income. So it's actually dropped. When people make less, they tend to give more. Yeah, this is another interesting statistic. People who make less than 20, who make $20,000 or less are eight times more likely to give than people who make $75,000 or more. Uh, within the United States, the Mormons give the most of any religious group because they require tithes from their people, and they check. Of, of religions in the world, Muslims give more than Christians or Jews do. And, and part of it is they have a common cause to spread Islam throughout all the world. Maybe we've lost our common cause. Uh, interesting, this is, a, this is just some fascinating numbers here. Um, currently, it, the, the average in the United States is about, uh, for Christians, is that, that uh, adult Christians give about $17 per week. That's what it averages out, which means that the average Christian makes $8,840 a year. Right? Uh, I, I, there, there's roughly 247 million people who claim to be Christians in America. If they tithed, we could, uh, we could spend $25 billion on world hunger and we could eradicate world hunger. We could spend $15, $15 billion on world sanitation and, we could, and water issues and we could fix that. We could spend $12 billion and solve illiteracy in the world. And, and we could uh, use $16 billion, or uh, sorry, $2 billion would fund all overseas missions 
as they currently are, and we'd still have about $100 billion left over for the churches within the United States. If only every Christian tithed in America. And so, so those, those might be uh, bleak pictures, but I, I want to return us to this passage in Acts and say and ask you a couple questions. And they devoted themselves. Remember what Chris said that word devote means. It means the opposite of dabbling into. They devoted them. They had a common cause. They had a common cause to spread the gospel. And, and, um, and maybe giving is related to what we think a cause is. And uh, by the way, I also found this interesting. And I, I'm not saying, when I, when, I, when I say these things, I'm not implicating uh, PCF. I actually didn't look at our numbers. I didn't look at how many adults are here and how much our offerings are. I'm, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I, I'm, I'd, I'd rather look at what the scriptures say and look at what the trends are around us and then say, what is God calling us to? In the New Testament, we are supposed to give to the church for three reasons. We're supposed to give to the church so the church can distribute to the poor and needy. That's a part of the job of the church. We've allowed the government to do that for us. We gave it over to them and, and so all we would have to do as American Christians is tithe. We could take that all over. That way we could eradicate Social Security, uh, all overseas spending on literacy and water and uh, all those world hunger issues. We could, the governments wouldn't have to be involved. We could take care of it. So we're, the church is called to take care of the poor and the needy. And that's why we're doing the... Oh, I can't. I just lost it. What's the house? Brent, what's the house? Homes of Hope, oh yeah. Um, that's why we're doing that. The second uh, place that the, the uh, New Testament asked the church to give to is their pastors. I didn't know if I wanted to include this, but it's quite clear that the New Testament says that the church should not leash the ox. I'm sorry, muzzle the ox. Maybe he should stop, but they should not muzzle the ox. That feeds... So as he treads out the grain. And the third reason that the New Testament calls us to give is to unleash the power of God. Brothers and sisters, if, if, if learning more about Jesus unleashes the power of God in us, if prayer unleashes the power of God in the world around us, and if fellowship unleashes the power of God in giving to each other, giving and generosity unleashes the power of God to spread the gospel, to take care of the needy and the poor in the world, and to give to the world. And um, did you notice that with the apostles' teaching and with the prayer thing, I tried to come up with some practical ways to do this. I was thinking about how much I should push into this with giving. Because here, here is where I'm at as I read this passage. Oh, I, I need to cover one other passage. Actually, two others. A little later in Acts, there's an account. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him were his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon all of them. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles, 
Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And, the, uh, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back a part of it for himself and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, it was at your own disposal. In fact, Peter is saying, you didn't have to give it all. You didn't have to give it all. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. I can imagine that. It's a little scary. The young men rose up and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. Now, we've read in Acts how Peter was able to raise people from the dead. This is the reverse. And I was thinking about that, and I said, that just seems so unfair to me. Like, okay, so they weren't perfect people. But, and, and as I was thinking about that, what did, what did Ananias and Sapphira do here? What did they want to do? They wanted to control with their money. They wanted to buy something with their money prestige, whatever. They wanted the honor of having given without giving. And I thought, how many times do I do that? How many times do I do that? I want the honor of having given, but I don't want to give. If God would strike, well, you'd have a dead pastor. And I need to repent of that. But, but this, is about, this is about control. And when you think about giving, uh, remember I said there's this, uh, there's this kind of fleeting loss. And when, we've, when, we re- when we kind of focus on, oh, look at what I have to give. That's it. Or if we say, I'm going to give so that I can receive. Or I'm going to give so people see how much I give. When we do those kinds of things, we're trying to control the outcome. And Jesus is saying, let me control the outcome, just like prayer. Let me control the outcome. You just give. Give how the Lord speaks to your heart about. If God is calling you to tithe, tithe. If God is calling you to give more than a tithe, give more than a tithe. But give. And let Jesus control the outcome. In, in uh, 2 Corinthians 9, I won't read the passage, it said, God loveth a cheerful giver. Ananias and Sapphira are about as opposite from cheerful givers as there is. Do you know what that word cheerful in Greek is hilario? It's where we get our hilarious. It means belly laugh. God loves a person who laughs from their belly and gives from their deepest. So God loves a cheerful giver. I want to be loved by God, and I want God to say, there goes a cheerful giver. That makes me smile. And so when you walk by the offering bucket today, 
or when you push tithely, laugh. Give yourself a good laugh and say, oh, this would only buy 10 cups of Starbucks anyway, or do whatever you need to do. But, uh, but think about giving. And, and, and in all seriousness, think about how prayer, learning about Jesus, fellowship, and giving, and what the four have in common, and what it does to God's church when, when those things are practiced, it unleashes the power of the gospel within the church, and then it broadens the impact of the gospel. So when you give, you're not only giving to providence, you're, you're giving to the spread of the gospel. Let's stand together. Lord Jesus, as we give today and as we think about giving in the next week as we think about prayer and as we pray together as we read scripture together over this coming week I pray and as we fellowship together over this coming week I pray that you would speak to our hearts and I pray Jesus that you would unleash the power of the gospel in our church here at PCF, in our community, Charm, in Holmes County, and then let it spread out from there. And I pray that you would convict our hearts about giving. Lord, um, help us to see that when we give, we're not giving, that, that we are giving to you. And I pray that as we give our small gifts, that you would increase them and turn them into larger gifts. In the name of Jesus, amen.